0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Z, and welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant Based and Happy podcast. Here's what you can expect from listening to Jennifer Z Plant Based and Happy. My true passion is all about helping educate you, the listener, on food, fitness, and wellness. I educate through my own story and experiences on a multitude of topics, including inflammatory conditions, women's health, plant based nutrition, fitness, and mindfulness. It's designed to teach you how you can become your most powerful self every single day. From interviews with today's top health, fitness, wellness, and spiritual experts, this podcast is a fun and happy atmosphere. So sit back and enjoy some of the amazing interviews that I have with experts and people who have completely transformed their lives through plant-based nutrition, fitness, and wellness. And if you love this podcast and would love to see it grow with even more incredible episodes, you now have the opportunity to support the Jennifer Z podcast by visiting jenniferz.com forward slash podcast. That's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-Z-E-E dot com forward slash P O D C A S T. This helps me amp up the podcast. Finding more incredible guests while increasing the number of episodes being published. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Jennifer Z community. Today on the Jennifer Z Plant Based and Happy podcast, I have Dr. Neil Barnard. Dr. Barnard is an adjunct associate professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine in Washington, DC, and president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Dr. Barnard has led numerous research studies investigating the effects of diet on diabetes, body weight, and chronic pain, including a groundbreaking study of dietary interventions in type two diabetes funded by the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Barnard has authored more than 80 scientific publications and 20 books for medical and lay readers. And as the president of the Physicians Committee, Dr. Barnard leads programs advocating for preventative medicine, good nutrition, and higher ethical standards in research. He has hosted four PBS television programs nutrition and health and is the editor-in-chief of the nutrition guide for clinicians a textbook made available to all u.s medical students his research contributed to the acceptance of plant based diets in the dietary guidelines of americans in 2015 he was named a fellow of the american college of cardiology in 2016 he founded the barnard medical center in washington dc Originally from Fargo, North Dakota, Dr. Barnard received his medical degree at the George Washington University School of Medicine and completed his residency at the same institution. He practiced at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York before returning to Washington to found the Physicians Committee. And I had the incredible opportunity to meet Dr. Neil Barnard in Toronto, Canada actually when he was giving a talk with the Physicians Committee all about good nutrition and preventative medicine and higher ethical standards in research. And I was blown away by his talk, so much so that I had to reach out and have him on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, Dr. Barnard. Thank you so much for coming on the Jennifer Z Plant Based and Happy podcast.
1: Thank you for including me.
0: Well, it's great to have you. So, as the president of the Physicians Committee, you lead programs advocating for preventative medicine, good nutrition, and higher ethical standards in research. Uh, Can we talk a little bit about that? And um, let's just talk a little bit about the current ethical standards in research and how that's changed throughout the years as well as how the Physicians Committee is having an impact on such changes.
1: Sure, well, when it comes to research, one of the big issues has been that researchers have been studying diabetes, or heart disease, or cancer, or Alzheimer's disease, in many cases by trying to copy those diseases in an animal. So they might make a rat to have diabetes, or try to create a mouse that has something similar to the brain changes of Alzheimer 's disease, and there are two problems with that, obviously. The first is that the animals are not having a very nice time. They often suffer and almost invariably are killed in the course of the experiments. But from a human standpoint, the outcomes of those research uh, of those kinds of research studies can often be very, very limited um, and don't translate into humans. Uh, when people have developed drugs, for example, that seem to work. In animals uh, to protect the brain against the changes of Alzheimer's disease. When those same drugs have moved from animal experiments into human trials, they have been just abysmal. Uh, The vast majority, about 99% of them, just don't do anything in human beings. And so that's led to the question of wait a minute, animal experiments are not just obviously cruel to the animals, but what the heck are we getting from them? And wouldn't we do better to study? human genes, human cells, human tissues, or what we do here at the Physicians Committee, we bring in human beings. Okay. And you, you do your research carefully and ethically, but people who have diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis or other conditions, are they volunteer because they want to be part of research uh, to see what we can do to understand their conditions and to help them to get better.
0: Right, and and how do you see? I mean, how has the how has the physicians committee uh, made these changes so that you know these innocent animals aren't going through enduring all of this um, all of this stuff?
1: Well, we've been attacking it in several ways. Um, one of the first things that we did was to look at the use of animals in medical education. So, medical students would uh, be assigned a dog and they would give the dog a variety of drugs to see how the drugs affected the heart, and then they would end up killing the dog as part of the laboratory. And we thought very early on, A, that's bad for the dogs, B, it's bad for the students, because it teaches them that life is expendable, and um, we worked very hard, but as time has gone on, we have managed to eliminate all use of all animals from every medical school in the US and Canada for all of those labs that go up to the receipt of the MD degree. So, oh, that's
0: fantastic. Well,
1: that was a huge change. And then what, what remains to be done, though, is the use of animals after the MD degree. So I'm talking about uh, residency. So uh, just recently, we eliminated all use of animals in pediatrics. The last school to go was Laval University. Um, that was the last one. Um, and now we're eliminating the use of animals in emergency medicine and in trauma training. And those are almost finished, but not quite. So there's, there's certainly more to do. And then animals are also used in toxicology testing yes. testing of commercial products or drugs or industrial chemicals, and then also in research per se. So hmm. we they still have our work cut out for us.
0: Absolutely. So how do you think that the use of animals in research affects medical students on a psychological level?
1: Presumably, the students are going to medical school to be healers. Right and because life is precious, and you wanna do what you can to preserve it. Um, and sometimes that life may come in a form that you yourself may not value a lot personally or may be different from your, your own. And if early on in their training we teach them that life just doesn't matter in some forms and you're, you're gonna kill somebody, even though you know there are alternatives there, something dies in the medical student at that point which is this idea that I can trust my professors, um, that they'll guide me in a good way, that I can do things that are maybe a little suspect. Um, they, it's, it's the beginning of sort of corrupting the, the, the motivations for going to medical school. And then not too, not too long after that, they go to in, through internship and they really get beat up pretty badly um, with long, long, long hours of difficult work. And they emerge from that they're not the starry-eyed students anymore. They are selfish in some cases, greedy, um, trying to just find ways to get through the day. And I really think that one of the first things we need to do is to say, no, stop. We are not killing anybody as part of your training. Not a person, not an animal, nobody. And that's a principle here. And that now, I have to say, um, now that medical students are never trained on animals anywhere, in the first four years of medical school, many of them are shocked to hear that that ever would have occurred. And yet it was not that many years ago when it was absolutely commonplace.
0: Right, absolutely. And I think when it comes to compassion, and compassion, I think when I say that, I'm talking about compassion for all animals equally. So, you know, when I went plant-based, I did it for health issues, over ethical issues in the beginning. And now that I'm sitting here today, I can, safely say that I've developed more of a compassion and, you know, I, I equally feel the need to protect a cow as I do my dogs. And I really think that it was my plant-based journey that led me to this deeper connection. Um, and, you know, I feel like I got here sooner than I would have if I didn't have that health issue. So, you know, for people who are not plant based and they don't have health issues that have led them in certain directions. I guess what I'm asking is how can we instill or help somebody come to that moment or instill that compassion uh, for all living creatures in people who are simply just not there yet?
1: Yeah. You know, for some people, it comes from a, a personal experience, um, for others, it comes almost as um, just sort of a theoretical construct that they read about. Um, when I say a personal issue, it's, it's funny. When I was a kid, my father took us out to shoot ducks and geese. And I got to tell you, we, we were in North Dakota and the ducks would come out of Canada, um, in the fall and they would be headed for warmer climates and the same with the geese. And there is no more gentle animal than a duck. Um, but we would blow them out of the sky mm-hmm. and they would hit, uh, they would either hit a wa- the water in a pond or the, Feel or whatever it was. And I have to say that it was part of our culture and it didn't break our hearts to see these poor animals just blown up. Uh, I drove cattle to slaughter with my uncle. Um, and you could see, you know, you load them off the truck and they're scared animals. But somehow when things are part of your culture, you just turn a blind eye. Um, but I have to say, Maybe it's part of the maturation process or something. Something yeah. wakes, wakes you up. And in my case, it was participating in, in animal experiments um, with animals that nobody would, would um, feel, or most people would not feel compassionate toward. We use rats and we use pigeons. And um, when I started to see how these little animals that 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 were kind of beneath anybody's compassion, the fact that even they could but they could bond with me or with others, and they could suffer terribly um, in the course of experiments or or illnesses they may have. Something just at some point went ping into my head, and I started looking back at the harm I had done to animals and as part of my own life, my own culture. Um, But I have to say, you know, the health issues that make a person go to a vegan diet or whatever they may call it, That reaches a lot of people. So many people have weight to lose. They have diabetes. But their motivation is often not terribly deep. In other words, well, it's Friday night. We're with friends at a steakhouse. What the heck? But once people have a little bit broader vision and they're starting to think about what the animals go through, you get to a point where you really want to stick with your diet, not because it's more effective on your cholesterol, but because eating an animal just becomes something creepy to you absolutely you wouldn't wouldn't eat a leg of your dog (laughs) if it was the last food available yeah Um, and when you start to apply that more broadly uh, at first theoretically but then it just becomes um the way you feel about things it's it's good and and, and it feels good consistent and consistent to make these choices but it has a huge health payoff too and that is you're never going to cheat. Um, So
0: I I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, when you do, regardless of what your reason is for going plant-based, but when you do finally take that journey and you're far along in this journey and, you know, you've watched documentaries and you've listened to podcasts and you've talked to plant-based advocates, it's really hard to unlearn everything that you learned and become unaware again. So that's the good point about it is because once you become aware of all this and like you were saying, you broaden your vision, it's really hard to go back. It's impossible to go back.
1: And yet there are still new things that you discover along the way. I have to say it, it, oh, it never ceases to amaze me just how creepy things can be and how cruel people can be. I'll give you an example. Um, I must have written 18 books before I wrote this book called The Cheese Trap. And the whole reason I wrote it was because in our research studies, we found that a lot of people got hooked on cheese. They just felt addicted to cheese and they couldn't lose weight and their diabetes wouldn't get better because they just couldn't break their cheese thing. So I started looking into cheese and we found that it's addictive, that it's fattening. When I say addictive, it has actual opiates in it, it's fattening, it has hormones, all kinds of bad stuff. But I, unlike every other book, I decided in this one to actually talk about what the animals go through. Most people have absolutely no idea of how you get cheese. You know how the why a cow produces milk and how the milk becomes cheese. And it was so surprising to me um, and to I, I think to my readers that animals were not just happily frolicking on the hillsides and and giving milk and you know having babies and and whatever, which is the way they might have imagined it, looking at this at a carton of milk, but the reality of the dairy industry is surprisingly harsh um, in anywhere milk is produced. And I'm talking about organic milk produced in the bucolic hills of New York State, uh, or milk produced in India, or places that profess um, respect for animals. So it's surprisingly troubling.
0: I think there was a there was a point in What the Health when my I, I think it was What the Health when my husband was watching, um, and just like the cows being milked, and I mean some of them were bleeding. It was insane. And at that point, he was just like, "Okay, that that's that's beyond."
1: Well, it's it's creepier than that. Um, if you, in fact, uh, I toured a dairy not so long ago, and you could see this. Um, the farmhand takes his left hand and puts a glove on all the way up to his shoulder. He sticks his hand into the cow's rectum. This is every glass of milk you ever had comes from this procedure going to this cow. He sticks his hand up the cow's rectum all the way up to his elbow and through the through the rectal wall you can feel the uterus. So you hold it still with your left hand, you take your right hand, you take what looks like a knitting needle, you shove it through the cervix of the animal and you, you eject semen that you took from a bull and these animals are not volunteers but they will not object because she is chained by the neck and she can't turn around. Um, She is gonna get pregnant that day, whether she wants it or not. And then nine months later, she will give birth. And the farmer has done this because if she doesn't give birth, you're not gonna have any milk. And then the farm hands all gather around and they say, isn't this beautiful? Here's this awkward little calf in the hay, blinking his eyes and looking up at mom. And she's looking at her baby, and she's licking her baby clean, and the baby tries to stand up, and, and you know they get a little tear in their eye, the, the people do, seeing how beautiful this is. But then, this is a dairy. You can't let the baby drink the milk. So they have an implement that takes care of this. It's a, called a wheelbarrow. And you pick up the calf and put the calf in the wheelbarrow, and you take the calf away, and the mother will never see her calf again but there's no bond in nature stronger than that between a mother and her baby. So she fights, I mean, she, or to the, to the extent she can, she, she pushes and is effectively letting you know that this is, this is her baby you're taking away. And pretty soon, uh, the baby in the wheelbarrow will be taken out of her sight and a gate will slam in her face, and she will stand there, and she will cry out. And at night, the, the baby is in a hutch, um, and you'll hear the baby's cry. Um, as well and she's impregnated every single year she's separated from offspring every single year and in nature she's she would live to be 20 on a dairy farm she's going to live to be four by age four she's just consuming too much feed for the amount of milk she's giving so they're going to hang her up by her legs and her throat will be slit she's going to be a low grade hamburger and her daughter is going to take her place and get a hand up her rectum and she will get impregnated and her babies will be taken away this happens every single year So the point I'm making is that the dairy industry is a meat industry. Every dairy cow is going to die soon, um, but not until they're impregnated and separated from their offspring year after year after year. Um, And it's just, it's in my view, uncivilized. Um, And to do this with ice cream or some yogurt or something like that is, this is not the kind of culture you really want to be part of.
0: No. And that's the thing too. I mean, I have a lot of, clients who I coach who are like, yeah, I can give up milk, but I can't give up cheese. So, <laughs> you know, and I, and I've actually never been a cheese person myself, but what is it specifically about cheese that was like, why can't people put down their cheese?
1: We hear this all the time. In fact, just two hours ago, I was giving a lecture to some medical students and there was one of the students who said exactly that. I could be vegan except for the cheese. I just, I'm hooked on cheese. Um, Cheese is one of these things, it's different from milk and different from ice cream and yogurt. First of all, um, it's uh, fatty. People like fatty foods like ice, uh, well, potato chips or whatever. It's also salty. Uh, A lot of salt is added. Um, There's more salt in cheese, ounce per ounce, than there is in potato chips. Um, So salty, fatty things. But the third thing is casomorphins. Casein is the dairy protein. And when it is digested, it releases casomorphins. These are casein-derived morphine-like compounds. And they attach to the brain to the same receptors as, as morphine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not as strong. They're about one, um, the strongest of them has about one-tenth brain receptor binding power compared with pharmacy-grade morphine. So it's it's not strong enough to get you arrested, but it is certainly strong enough to get you. <laughs> So people love cheese and it's, it's, it is in fact a, a narcotic, it contains mild narcotics. If people aren't aware that it's there. They just, they just love it.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for clearing that up for our mm-hmm. listeners. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the dangers of processed meats. Um, can you share with us, because I think that there's a little bit of a misconception on this. Can you share with us what is considered processed meat?
1: Yeah. I I should, uh, let me define processed meat for you, but I should quickly say that other meats have health problems too. Yeah. Um, Whether it's chicken or fish or pork or beef or you you name it, they all present health issues and I encourage people to avoid them all. But the reason that a lot of people have focused on processed meats is that the jury came in years ago and said, when it comes to cancer, guilty. There is absolutely zero question now. Processed meats cause colorectal cancer, and they contribute to pre- breast cancer, and probably also esophageal cancer, and, and uh, stomach cancer, and other other uh, digestive cancers. But anyhow, uh, the definition. It's meats that are transformed in various ways uh, uh, for preservation or for flavoring, um, and this is, can be the use of nitrates, nitrites, um, curing, uh, so, um, Smoked compounds can be used. There are a number of, a number of, of, uh, of, of ways of doing this. Uh, turkey bacon is a processed meat. Uh, pork bacon, all kinds of bacon are processed meats. Sausage is a processed meat. Hot dog, the deli slices that it might be in a like salami or bologna, those are all processed meats. Uh, the pepperoni on, on a pizza. Um, that and ham as well. So it's a big list. And most people, well, a lot of people, Start the day with sausage or bacon. Mm-hmm. Every serving that you have as part of your daily routine increases your risk of colorectal cancer by about 18% according to the World Health Organization. So let's say I have a serving of bacon for breakfast, a hot dog for lunch, and maybe pepperoni pizza for dinner. That's three servings. Multiply 18% by three. You suddenly have increased your risk by 54%. Holy cow. Yeah. So it's, it's, this, is, this is bad stuff.
0: And you also mentioned uh, about other meats as well. And I want to address that too, Uh, you know, for the individuals who are still claiming that it's okay to eat grass fed antibiotic, free, free range, or whatever the case is organic. Um, What are the issues with that? And, and primarily, I guess, with red meat, a lot of people understand, but what are the issues with, with the other types of meat?
1: You mean, you mean chicken or fish? Yes. Um, Well, First of all, um, animal products always have cholesterol, they always have animal fat. Um, And if you take chicken, even without the skin, the chicken white meat is about 23% fat. So roughly a quarter of its calories come from animal fat. And when you look at the animal fat, it's particularly high in saturated fat. That's the kind that raises cholesterol. And it will also, it is associated with Alzheimer's disease as well, according to some pretty good research. so, um, when people consume those foods, um, they're at well th- these increase the risk of heart disease quite substantially, um, probably increase the risk of alzheimer 's disease, and the biggest source of carcinogenic heterocyclic amines these are cancer causing chemicals. the biggest source is actually chicken mm. um, Americans in particular eat a lot of chicken, they eat about a million chickens per hour and um we're in probably the worst shape our population has ever been in. And where I'm especially worried about this is with children. Um, we are seeing terrible health statistics. Um, if you look at 20 at, uh, year olds, they have what's projected to be worse health than any other band of 20 year olds has, has had. If you look at the band of 30 year olds, the same story. Um, so our population in the United States is getting progressively less healthy. Uh, life expectancy is declining, and this is because bacon is a fad. Mm-hmm. Um, we're immortal. We're going to live forever. Why don't we go ahead and eat these unhealthy foods? Um, if compassion were a fad, <laughs> I have to tell you, it would be a whole different world.
0: Oh, for sure it would. So so we've talked about the processed meats. We've talked about um, the dairy issues. Uh, so, What is one thing that our listeners, so people who are listening right now say they want to make a change and cut one thing out, what do you think the most important thing to cut right out now would be? Uh,
1: I guess everybody has their different choice. And, and it, if I could say one thing is animal products, that would be very good. Um, uh, some people will say, well, they cut out the dairy first, or um, some people will say cut out the chicken first. Those are all good, good choices. The thing I would I- urge you to do, though, is to not stay at that point. Um, at some point, Eliminate all animal products, even if it's only for about a three week period. Because if you can eliminate all animal products for a three week period, two things will happen. The first is, you'll feel the health benefits. You'll lose weight, if you have diabetes, your blood sugar is gonna come down, your blood pressure will improve, your digestion will improve. But apart from the physical changes, your outlook will change. You'll start to prefer these healthy foods. You'll you'll break the love affair with the things that have caused problems for you. Um, Many people never get that chance. And to do a three-week break is, is really an amazing experience.
0: I have to agree with you with that. I find, too, when once it's almost like every vegetarian that you ever speak to ends up being a vegan. Because yeah. I think once you start cutting certain things out and introducing new things like plants, uh, you, f- you feel those benefits and all you want to do is eat more of what's making you feel good. So it naturally, like, especially for a few friends of mine who were vegetarians, it naturally led them to becoming plant-based.
1: Yes, and, and a vegan diet or a plant-based diet is not the extreme end of your dietary exploration. It's the beginning of it. Oh, once, it is. Once you've got the animal products off your plate, you have walked through a door into a beautiful new world. Um, and what I mean by that is, I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. We didn't have international restaurants there. I mean, the whole idea of e- even eating spaghetti was exotic. Um, it was straight-ahead American food, uh, you know, roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn. Yeah. Um, but once I discovered vegan diets, I thought, wow, there's Italian uh, spaghetti arrabbiata, you know, and there was Chinese restaurants with rice and vegetables and tofu. And there were Japanese restaurants where they would make me miso soup and seaweed salads, and, and I could get sushi that was, um, not, I'm not talking about fish sushi, but cucumber sushi or asparagus or whatever it was, uh, Vietnamese restaurants, Mexican restaurants, um, Lebanese restaurants, all this whole world of culinary delights with countries that have many, many, many plant-based staples. That was open to me, and it was exciting. And, and if somebody said, no, you can't eat any of that anymore, go back to your darn roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn, what a restrictive diet that would, would be. And then, of course, you wake up to, to the amazing health effects. You wake up to the fact that you are doing the single best thing for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, people watch the weather report, and everybody agrees climate change is real. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're not vegan, you're not exactly <laughs> helping. Um, so let's get with the program, people. Um, let's, let's eat like the environment matters. Um, so anyway, I guess the point I'm making is this is the beginning. And it's you would never want to walk back through that door into your previous existence.
0: Oh, absolutely! And you know, I have to say that my dinners have become so much more exciting, and actually planning the dinners have become so much more exciting because we're not eating the same thing every single night. And it's like chicken, salmon, <laughs> you know. Uh, so once I I fully transitioned to being plant based. Uh, like you said, I mean, there's so much variety out there. And I feel as though now, you know, there's so many plant-based restaurants out there that are popping up all over the place. Uh, so that it's a really exciting time as well.
1: I'll tell you one other funny thing that you'll notice in the kitchen. And this will sound small. Your cleanup is fast. Yeah. You know, for people <laughs> who make a roast, they got this big greasy pot and it takes like 15 minutes to try to get that grease out of there. And, and so your cleanup is much quicker. That's a small thing. You then discover, though, wait a minute, if my pots and my sink and my cutlery cleans up faster because it's not so greasy and dirty, what does that mean about my body? Mm. Because all that stuff didn't go in into you. And so your own physiological cleanup is a lot faster too. Uh, meaning instead of all that fat and cholesterol and grease gumming up the works and creating problems, it's not there. So you're out of the kitchen faster, but there's a lesson to you about what's good for your health.
0: Oh, definitely. Final question for you, Dr. Barnard, and I love to ask this question because it gives my guests a chance to reflect a little bit on their own lives, uh, which is always fun because all the answers are, are pretty different, um, and the question is more customized to each person. But here it is. If you could go back to medical school with what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently?
1: Yes. Yes. Um lots of things, (laughs) of course. You know, lots of things I do differently. Um uh, I have lots of role models, I have to say, Dean Ornish is one, um, who's done just such brilliant work, and he got involved in research really from the get-go. I think I think he was right, and I think his genius is something I want to learn from. Um, and so I would have gotten involved in the research much sooner. Also, I think I was a little bit I didn't see victory as being within reach quite as easily as it has turned out to be um, with regard to changing diets. Um, And so I think I would have gotten involved with um, some people that have become good friends now, like the American Medical Association and others. I would have been much more active with them early on. I I think at the time I I viewed them as harder to to change. And, And as you know, the American Medical Association has recently taken some stances that have been very, very favorable toward people who want to eat in a more healthful way. Yeah. Um, you could have, I would have been really very surprised about that before, but it's it's true. So I would get more involved in those things.
0: Amazing. Um, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Dr. Barnard, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Well, it's been great being with you. Thanks for all that you do.
0: The best way to spread the word about the amazing benefits of healthy living through plant-based food, fitness, and wellness is to share it with your friends and family. You can do this in person or through the various social media platforms out there. I'm so thankful for each and every like, share, and comment. And if you're looking for more food, fitness, and wellness inspos, please visit the jenniferz.com website. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Jennifer Z community. And until next time, stay happy, healthy, and plant-based.